You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we are working to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear good news and as we scatter to share it. How does it all end? With a whimper? With a bang? One of my favorite, uh, sounds a bit weird, podcast historians points out that since the 1960s, in the Western world, there has been this double-edged sword of both uh, large-scale war on one side and then environmental collapse on the other side. And that at any time, this sword could fall in either direction. And if that sword did fall, well, we are told that there would be all sorts of overflow problems like starvation and disease and mass migration and geopolitical upheaval, piracy, system collapse. At the same time, for most of history here in the Southern Hemisphere, the question of apocalypse or about the end things, it's mostly been related to whether or not there's enough work and enough food for the day. Now, don't make me Don't hear me making light of very serious things, okay? Human life is precious. All of God's creation is precious. And yet, it is also true that it is the end of the world today for someone. A famous public figure who claims to be a scientist tells us that in five billion years, the sun will expand and engulf our orbit as the charred ember that was earth vaporizes. And he ends that little sentiment with, have a nice day. (laughs) You might know of this other public figure who claimed uh, predictions throughout his career, but this one in particular. And now, we have no option. We can't say maybe, or it's possible, or it looks very probable. No way. We have to say what the Bible teaches. This is fact. May 21st, 2011 is the day of the rapture. It is the day that judgment begins. Of course, he was wrong about this, as he was in 1994 and as he was later on in 2011 when he just had to rework the dates a little bit. These types of predictions... Uh, come from people who speak the name of Jesus, but deny him with their every book and audio production. And of course, this does go against Jesus' own words in Mark chapter 13 that says that no one knows when the end will come. The news does not seem to care about the effects of bad reporting. Governments and politicians seem mostly to care about their careers. The whole of the internet does not care much about anything. Perhaps your neighbors repeat all of these things that they've heard from somewhere else without a whole lot of conviction. Evil preachers who would not know Jesus if he flipped over their dining room table talk about it all the time. Bunk scientists who cannot seem to understand the nature of their method and work don't get it. And yet, even your own hearts tell you, as they have every generation before, 
that the end is always near. Dan Carlin, that's the historian that I was talking about earlier, he gives two options for the future. One is that we, as ever-intelligent humans, invent our way out of the problem. In fact, we are going to become so advanced that one day, all of the things that we cause to go wrong by all of our advancements will finally get it right. (laughs) Or the second option would be you know, post-World War III, uh, apocalyptic overpopulation, environmental wasteland. Uh, It's just, that will happen and it'll cause people to get tougher. And it will show us uh, that we are a species of survival. Isn't that great? Don't you feel comforted by that? I know when I look at the vast world and the universe and even our little city here, the first thing I like to consider is all the ways that it could go terribly wrong and then be given hope that the very things that get us into trouble will magically sort it all out. The end is always near. I'm not looking at the big picture either. For each of us, we have things in our life. Whether it be Visas and the fear of removal, that's a real and present danger. It can feel like the world is ending. In 2018, with our riots and shutdowns here in Hermanus, many feared that it was the end of the town and that nothing would ever be the same. And they were right. You can't go home again, like we always say. Things have changed. For you, it could be even smaller than that. A diagnosis, a lingering loss of energy or confidence caused by a pandemic, a quick change in any personal circumstance feels like the end of the world or at least the end of an era. Theologically, this is what we confess as a church, we believe that the end of the world is approaching and at the last day, Christ will descend from heaven and raise the dead from the grave to final retribution. (laughs) You get it. (laughs) Our text today lets us know that this feeling that all things are coming to an end is normal. And also a true sense of something that will happen. So we should not uh, brood over it, causing fear in our souls and in the lives of others. We also should not keep putting plasters and happy faces over the top of it. Instead, we should, with patient faith, endure. We should be long-suffering with this world and our circumstances, resting in and relying upon Jesus And here's our big idea for today, or at least some version of our big idea for today. The end may seem near, but in every struggle, pain, and sorrow, Jesus is as near to you as He will be on that last day. The end may seem near, but in every struggle, pain, and sorrow, Jesus is as near to you as He will be on that last day. Here in Luke's Gospel, 
Let me see if I have the version that I want. I do. We do have some very serious things taking place. In fact, we have a whole list of things stretching from verse 8 to verse 27 about everything that is going to go wrong. There are false messiahs. Those people that are coming and saying, I am He or I know when the end is happening. We have governmental persecution in verse 12. We have betrayal by family and martyrdom in verse 16. We see the fall of Jerusalem in verses 20 through 24, which happened in 70 AD and which happened several more times throughout history. And then we finally see the coming of the Son of Man, language from the book of Daniel in verses 25 through 27. And we could look at that and we could say, oh, well, this is a ladder and it's a growing problem that seems to, if we just, if we can spot the first part of it and then we're going to know when the last part of it's coming. And yet much of this happened to uh, Jesus' disciples, the apostles, in the book of Acts. They were brought before kings and rulers. They were called to bear witness to what it is that they believed. There were people that were turned over by their family, and this is not a new thing, right? If we look at things that are historically well-known uh, in world history, we see this happening in World War II. Neighbor turning on neighbor. Jews being sent to death camps, work camps, so on and so forth. People that weren't going along and polling the party lines getting sent to the same places. We see in Soviet Russia and other communist countries, family members paid to rat out other family members. And we see the same thing in South America with, um, well, throughout South America <laughs> for the last 200 years. And specifically, when it comes to faith, we see Christians in these places being sent to their death because of what it is that they believe. And so, these things that we're hearing about, well, we've heard about these things before, right? False messiahs. We can't even begin to list how many false messiahs are in our world today. People that claim to be Jesus and people that claim to know some other way that can get us to where we need to be. Some other way that we can save the world together. Some other way. And yet, in the midst of all of these bad things, that are happening. Well, there, there's a couple things that we should take notice of. Much like in our psalm this morning, we have this beautiful news that Jesus is at hand and the very bad news of this means judgment, right? That's what all of these things happening in this text are. It's judgment from God. And Jesus is warning all of us, and specifically His disciples. It's a little bit interesting in Luke's Gospel. It says, and while some were speaking of the temple, um, if we were to go back to Mark's Gospel and see who it is that Jesus is talking to, He's talking to the twelve. Okay, <laughs> this, is, this is right before Jesus is going to the cross. It's about two days before that whole thing takes off. And so 
these words seem to be important for Jesus, that he wants to share them with his disciples. Um, And it seems like the disciples, they're not necessarily doing anything wrong. They were just talking about the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings. The thing was gorgeous. It was gigantic. It was difficult to build. It was a great engineering feat, a great piece of architecture. It was decorated wonderfully. And Jesus says, don't put your hope in that because it's going to be destroyed. It looks good now but it's not going to look good later. And so, as Jesus talks about His own return and the promise of the comfort that that will be, He also talks about the judgment that comes along with that. Yet in the midst of this passage, we really desperately need to see... uh, where good news is at in here? We could, we could go through and we could look at all the ways that we think that these things have uh, happened in the past, like we talked about a little bit. We could definitely go through the book of Acts and line up each and every one of these events with something that's happening there. We could go through the book of Revelation and line up, hey, maybe this is in the future, maybe this was in 70 AD. We could line all of those things up, and yet in the midst of that, in the midst of a whole lot of speculation about what that judgment looks like, how the end will come, we need to hear a promise from Christ. We need to hear how in the world we're going to get out of the end of the world. And I don't just mean escape it, right? Because Jesus says, you may escape it by being put to death. So let's hear some of these words of promise. Verse 13. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds, not to meditate beforehand on how to answer. Jesus is saying something rather bold here. He's saying, look, don't prepare a speech for the end of the world. Okay? (laughs) He's not saying you don't have time for that. He's saying, don't take the time to do that. Specifically, hey, apostles, that I'm talking to. Disciples, that I'm talking to. You don't know it yet, but you are going to be put to death. And when you are put to death, you're going to be called to account by those that are crucifying you and beheading you and doing whatever else it is that they choose to do. Don't prepare a statement. That sermon isn't going to come out properly. Okay. Now, do we know some people in the book of Acts that they actually got to preach that sermon? Stephen got to preach that sermon, didn't he? I, I'm not going to lie. It was very well done. It was a little bit lengthy. I'm not sure how much time he had to edit it. My point is, he got to preach that gospel from Genesis to the very end, and then he died. Right? And who was it that gave him those words? Who was it that gave him that mouth to speak? And who gave him that wisdom? And what needed to be said to that Jewish audience that stood there that day? God did that. God the Holy Spirit gave Stephen the big old mouth that he needed to say what needed to be said. And throughout history, uh, both biblical history and world history, we have those people that Christ 
uh, that God the Holy Spirit has equipped with the wisdom and words necessary to give a good confession of their faith at what to them is the end of the world. And make no mistake about it, for the disciples hearing this and for the Jews that were in earshot of this, the destruction of the temple is in fact the end of the world. This is everything that God has promised to them. It is the centerpiece of this beautiful land that He has chosen to give to them. No, no, no. It's happened before and it's not going to happen again. No, this temple won't be destroyed. And yet we know that that does, in fact, happen. And so what's our first bit of good news? The good news is you don't have to have the right words prepared because God the Holy Spirit is going to give you the words that you need in that time. Whether that's laying on a deathbed of old age or anachronistically a sword to your throat. Okay? What else do we have here? For I will give you mouth and wisdom, which none, none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Hey, that's another piece of good news about this wisdom that's going to be given to his people. That it's going to be something that maybe it's simply because Christ and everything that he has done looks like foolishness to the world, as Peter tells us. And therefore, how do you contradict that? It's foolishness. Or, it's going to be something that cannot be withstood against. It's going to be something, it's going to be a word that God the Holy Spirit works through to change hearts. To take away hearts of stone and give hearts of flesh. Jesus continues in verse 16, You will be delivered up by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated all for my name's sake. And here comes our next promise. But not a hair on your head will perish. <laughs> you got to love this, right? I mean, throughout most of Scripture, when we talk about this kind of persecution, we're talking about heat, right? We're talking about the heat being put on you. Whether it be literal fire and destruction, or it just be the pressure that the world puts us under and in. And yet, here Jesus is saying, you might die, but don't worry, your hair is going to be fine. <laughs> now, for some of us, that's not as comforting as it is for others, right? No, what is he, what is he trying to say? What does this mean? Well, there's a couple ways that we actually need to understand this. Uh, the, the first of which is, and if we were to just use Jesus' words from other where in the elsewhere in the gospel, it, maybe it would sound something like this. Don't worry, you're going to die, but I've got you by the hair and I'm yanking you up out of that fire. Alright, and here, here's what I mean by this. Um, first of all, Jesus has already said back in Luke chapter 12, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus saying, that's me. <laughs> Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? 
And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are more, you are of more value than many sparrows. Alright, so Jesus has already spoken about hair a little bit in Luke's gospel. Um, but elsewhere in, in John, we read this. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And what? And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Jesus is saying here, no matter what, whether you're dead or alive, you're going to overcome this, this, this world-ending event, whatever it may be. Because I'm going to grab you by the hair and I'm going to yank you out of that fire. You will not perish. So, uh, I'm not going to promise that you're going to have all your hair. Okay? Just, just a disclaimer. I don't think that's what the text is pointing us to. Um, Another thing that I think that we need to look at very seriously in this text, um, there's too much to actually go over this morning. Uh, Really, verses 20 through 24, we would have to do a whole lot of investigation and do a whole lot of Scripture to dig down to the bottom of it. But let me read verses 27 through 28 again. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads. Because your redemption is drawing near. Uh, Christian, for each of us, once again, whether that's on a deathbed or at the tip of a sword or at the end of all things when Christ returns, you should be straightening up and raising your heads because it's in that moment that your redemption draws near. Well, in the midst of this frightening vision, I think that there's, there are, and I've said it once, let me say it another way. There's a couple of things that we need to be aware of in this text. And, and both of them were taking place in Thessaloniki, where everyone was thinking, well, the end is never going to come, and I can just keep on living the way that I want to live. Or, the end's coming tomorrow, I'm going to quit my job and sit on a sun lounger and drink mixed drinks until Jesus shows up in the sky, right? I wasn't talking about Hermanus, sorry. I don't know. Maybe I was. Um, we need to be careful of, of a vice. It's a bad habit, and it's one of despair. We need to be careful that we're, we're not just reading a passage like this and anticipating that um, all things are just in utter decline all the time, and when it gets to its very worst, then Jesus will come. Well, there have been many times in history when things have been at their very worst, and yet Jesus has waited. And we also can't look at the fears of this world, whether it be World War III or it be climate collapse, 
and think, well, this is the way Jesus is going to do it. You don't know. We can't be placing our hopes and our fears in any of those things. Jesus is calling us to place our hopes and our fears in Him. To look to Him. To trust in Him. To fear and love Him. To anticipate Him. Because He is our redemption. And even though it does seem that the world is always about to end, (laughs) the end is always near, Jesus is saying, I am near, and your redemption is drawing near. Here's another truth that we're going to confess together here in just a couple of minutes. And it's this, that when God can raise the dead, not even death is the end. Resurrection and forgiveness mean the future is always a source of surprise to us. And so, I want to take verse 19 there. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Um, Jesus is not calling us to just grit our teeth and get through it. Um, I I don't love this translation. It could be translated a couple of different ways. By your endurance, by your patience, by your long-suffering. Both of these, all of these words are good. um, And yet, what this causes us to think is, okay, if I can just gut this thing out, then I will gain my own life. And that's not what Jesus is calling us to here. He's saying, listen, by your long-suffering, by your patient faith, you will endure. And so we should be long-suffering with this world and in our circumstances. Resting in and relying upon Jesus. Looking to Him because He is our redemption. And He has drawn near to us. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.